0: Uh, if you've been here for this series, either on person, uh, in person or those joining us online, if you've been here for this series, this is going to totally shock you, but John still has more to say about love. Like, I, I, you're totally shocked, right? Like he keeps coming back to this quality, this topic of, of love, and he, he mentions it and explains it, and, and then he goes away from it, and then he comes back to it, and he goes away from it and comes back to it. And he just keeps coming back to this. This same topic, like I think I said, like parents lecturing like, over and over, and, and at some point you want to say, Dad, we know. You've already told us this a thousand times. We've already heard it. You could have that approach to John because he just keeps circling back to this one quality as if to say, you really need to hear this. You really need to get this. O- over everything else you know and hear, don't forget about this issue John seems to think that of all the characteristics that believers should display in their life, all of the qualities that should be developing in in our lives as we follow Jesus, this is the one that should be evident at all times. At all times. Whatever other quality we're working on, this one should be the environment in which we live out all of the other qualities. We should live out every spiritual characteristic in love. There's no spiritual characteristic that we can divorce from love. If there's some attribute, if if there's some spiritual attribute that we haven't figured out how to exhibit in love, then we haven't figured out that spiritual attribute yet. If there's some command and we can't figure out how do I obey that command in love... We need to keep working on that, right? Because we haven't figured out how to obey that command. If there's some area of giftedness or talent or ability or strength that we haven't figured out how to exhibit with love, then we haven't figured out how God wants us to use that talent. Because over everything else in our life, every quality, every uh, gift, there should be love. There's no spiritual gift or spiritual strength. There's never a situation where we should say, Well, that person's really good at this, so we just have to overlook the fact that they're not very likable. They're really, we really need them in this role, so we just have to overlook the fact that they're kind of a jerk to everybody. Like there's no quality that supersedes love. There's no giftedness. We should never say, well, their strength is this, and I know they're hard to get along with, but we need them in this position. John would say, no, what we need is for people to experience the love of God in their lives and then exhibit that love in everything else that they do. John makes this, uh, Paul makes the same argument in a somewhat well-known passage in First Corinthians 13, some of you are familiar with this, maybe others of you aren't familiar with it. In chapter 12, Paul is dealing with giftedness, right? He's dealing with strengths and abilities. And what's happened in the church of Corinth is they've gotten really hung up on certain abilities that certain people had. And, and, and they had... They had formed a scale to say, okay, if you can do this, you're really important. And everybody else is not quite as important as that person. And so it had become a source of conflict, division. It had become a source of arrogance. It had become a a, a source of jealousy and envy and rivalry. And so in chapter 12, Paul says, look, you're all important, right? We need all of you. You're not all the same. You don't all do the same thing. You, You don't have all the same gifts. You're not going to all serve in the same roles or have the same titles. You're all important. We need all of you to do your thing. Stop comparing yourself. Don't give out any medals. Paul is saying there's, there's no place in the church for hero worship. There's no place for an award ceremony. There are no pedestals like this person is way up there and that person's way down there. No, Paul says we're all a part of a body. We need all all of you to do your thing, God's gifted you in some specific way, but he ends chapter 12 with this phrase, and yet, I will show you the most excellent way. Right? After telling everybody it's all the same, it's all important, you're all needed, Paul then says, but there is something that's more important than all the stuff we've already talked about. There is a more excellent way Then this discussion of who's more important. And then he begins chapter 13 like this. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. And Paul lists a few Quality. is this a representative list, not an exhausted list. We could put any other quality we want on the front end of his statement. We could put any talent or strength or ability on the front end of his statement. And the back end would still be, but if you don't have love, you have nothing. And here's Paul's equation. Anything minus love equals nothing. Anything. Put anything in the anything blank. Anything. Any gift. I- I- any ability. Any spiritual characteristic or quality, anything minus love equals nothing. He's making the same argument that John's making. The most important quality to go over all of the other qualities is love. At the end of chapter 13, Paul writes, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. And we would say faith and hope are really important. Faith and hope are really important. And Paul says, "But the greatest out of those three, if those are my three picks, the greatest is love. It's not that the others aren't important. The greatest, Paul says, is love. And my point is not to dive into the details of Paul's explanation, but just to say, Paul's on the same page as John. This is one we've got to get right. Regardless of what else we get right or wrong, this is one we have to get right, and John keeps coming back to this same topic. And and a part of me thinks it's because this is the spiritual quality, the personal quality that we are most likely to forget. In the world that we live in, this is the characteristic that just so easily gets bumped down the priority list. Especially since we live in a world that encourages conflict. It encourages sides. It encourages winners and losers. It encourages anger. Right? It, it, it uh, encourages quick comebacks and clapbacks. right? That I have to win and you have to lose. We're in that world. We have a natural selfishness to all of us. Existing in that world and in our bodies, I think John just knew this one is going to continue to fall down the priority list. And so here's John going, Nope, we're going to put it back at the top. We're going to put it back at the top. In case you forgot, this goes at the top. You have received the love of God. Now love one another. This is uh, chapter 4 of 1 John, if you're there. We're going to jump in at verse 17. We covered the verses right before this a few weeks ago. 1 John chapter 4, verse 17. John writes, This is how love is made complete among us, so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. This is how love is made complete among us. I want to camp for just a minute on the word among us. I know not all translations choose that word, but it chooses something similar. This is how love is made complete Among us, John says that love is not just about how you individually feel. It's not just an individual state. Love is something that gets worked out, that gets used and processed and experienced among us. Apparently, John believed that love is a group project. I don't know if you liked group projects in school or not, it probably depends on which person in the group you were. If you were the person that did all of the work while others did hardly any work, you probably didn't like the group project. But if you were the person that did very little and benefited from the same grade as all of those who worked really hard, you loved, you lived for group projects, right? They saved your GPA, perhaps. John says love, it's a group project it's not about you figuring this out on your own. Maybe there's some work you've got to do in your own heart, but love is not complete by yourself. Love is completed among us. Love is love to the degree that it interacts with other people, that it's in a crowded room and still maintains love. Right? Because There are a lot of people that I love until I have to be around them, right? (laughs) Are any of you that way? There's some people I love absolutely love from a distance, but boy, too much time around them? And John knows that. John's saying, look, don't tell me how much you love people when you're on an island. Love happens among us. Love happens when we rub shoulders with one another, when we have to be in the same space with one another. Love is made complete among us. You get to practice what love really is, not when you're by yourself. You get to practice what love is only when you're with other people. Paul tells us a little bit about what love is back in 1 Corinthians 13. He writes Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. All of those are relational things. You you, you can't be patient until you're around somebody who tempts you to not be patient. That's when you find out whether you're living in love or not. You, You can't express kindness Unless you're near people that you can be kind to. Love is a group project. It's among us. It's us together. Jesus, our ultimate example, Jesus demonstrated love by coming to be among us. Right? His love was a present love. It was a tangible, it was an embodied love. He didn't love the disciples from a distance. He was with them. He was among them for three years. He went to people's houses. He sat there. He was among them. Jesus' love was an embodied love and the love that the Bible talks about. And specifically, John is talking about love within the body of Christ, within the church. Now, that love should spill over outside of the church. But John seems to be saying, look, where we're going to get started in learning how to love one another is, is because we gather together. And we come together. That's why we do this. That's why we sit next to each other and we worship next to each other. That's why we get in community groups. That's why we pray together. That's why we serve together. Right? Because the, the goal of loving one another, it only happens when we're among each other. We're together with each other. This is love. It's completed among us. We found out over the last couple of years, there is a lot that we can accomplish and not be together. And we had to do that for a period of time over the last couple of years. There's a lot of things we can do without being in the same room. We can communicate information without being in the same room. I can teach without anybody being here. I've had to do it before. We can pray Without being in the same room. We can read the Bible without being in the same room. But John says you got to get in the same room because you can't love if you're not in the same room. It's not the same. Love from a distance is not the love that John is talking about. Love is completed. It's perfected among us. And and I know that some are still on that fringe of gathering not gather I just want to encourage you the church as God envisions it is an embodied church it's a present church it's a people-to-people church you can't be here every week I totally understand that but your experience of being in the church should be an embodied presence in the church the, word, the Greek word that we translate as church in the New Testament is the word ekklesia. It was not a spiritual word. It was not a religious word when the church adopted it in, in the first century to say, this is how we're going to describe our gatherings. It was simply a word that mean an, meant an assembly of people. People gathered together for some specific reason. People were in the same room. They were at the same place. The church is a present embodied experience where we get to practice the love that we have received from God and we've been commanded to give to one another. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Lots to get to in that passage. John says love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. We don't don't fear meeting God because His love's been put on us. His overwhelming love that we're unworthy of, God has put that on us in the person of His Son, and we have confidence to stand before Him one day. Not because we're good enough or smart enough or we've done enough good things, but God has chosen through His grace to love us. And then John uses this wonderful phrase, in this world we are like Jesus. How do we know that love is at work in us? Because we notice that we are living and loving more like Jesus would than like we would on our own. We are becoming, because of the love of God that's been put on us, we are becoming more and more like His children. We, are, we look more and more like Jesus. Our attitude is reflecting Jesus even in this world that tempts us away from Jesus. The way we love others looks more like the way Jesus loved others in this world. We are like Jesus. We're beginning to recognize it. Other people are beginning to recognize it. My three daughters... Um, They all did a tour of duty at Chick-fil-A when they were teenagers, and uh, they all had to work the drive-thru at times, and they would come home. They worked at the Chick-fil-A in Covington, and they would come home occasionally and say, Dad, do you know so-and-so? And And I would go, yeah, I haven't seen them in years. And they said, well, they came through the drive-thru, and they asked, are you Ken Sermon's daughter because you look like him? Which is always disappointing because it's better when they look, get recognized for looking like their mother. But occasionally someone looks at them and they see me. They say, like, I, I know where you came from. I know who you belong to. John said, we, this love should so radically transform our lives in this broken world that people look at us and go, you look like your father. You look like Jesus. You you reflect in this world, someone who came from another world. In this world, we are like Jesus. This is the transformation that the love of God should have on us as we're resisting the molding of this world and embracing the mercy and the compassion that God wants to share us, and, and and John goes on there to say, this kind of love, it gets rid of fear in our life, and yes, that, that is fear of the end, the fear of standing before God, but when we know that we are fully embraced by the love of God, we have confidence that He's not going to abandon us. We release fear of our future, we release fear of our unknown, because we know we are overwhelmingly loved by God and he's not going to stop loving us tomorrow he hasn't stopped loving us because of this new crisis that's coming into our life he's not going to stop loving us a year from now when a different crisis enters into our life there is a confidence getting rid of fear when I am aware of how much God loves me most of us had the experience of uh Initially, dating the person that would become our spouse one day. And maybe for many of you, those early dates, that early season, was riddled with a little bit of insecurity and fear. And I, like, does she like me? Does she love me? I really like her. I really want this to work. Does she? You have that whole initial, does she, doesn't she, does he, doesn't. And that eventually gives way hopefully, that eventually gives way to like this confident, yeah, I I love her, she loves me, that we are committed to one another, there's no guessing anymore, there's no wondering anymore, it's us and it's going to be us. That's how our relationship with God is, I guess we grow in love, as we understand His love for us. It, it just pushes back fear in our life. That's not to say that hard things don't come into our life. That's, that's not to say that we don't question some things. There are some things we don't understand. That's not what it means. It just means we have a confidence that God's love hasn't changed just because my circumstances have changed. It, it doesn't mean we, we use this language of not having fear. It, it doesn't mean that we stop using wisdom. That's not what it means, right? I don't fear buses. I'm not going to step out in front of one, though, right? It's not some weird, uh, I'm not afraid of anything. It's, I am confident that God has me, that He loves me, that I am walking in, living in His love. I'm going to meet Him one day in love, not in punishment, not in judgment. I'm going to meet Him through the love of Jesus, and I am confident in that. John writes in verse 19, we love because He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And He has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. John has this wonderful way of making his topics Extremely practical of giving us the theological, giving us the mysterious, the God of the universe, God who created the universe loves you. He knows you individually, not just kind of a blanket, love everybody. He loves you individually. He gives us this great mystery, this deep theological idea, but John always peels it back and says, All right, let me tell you what this actually means tomorrow. Let's let's take this from a Sunday talk to what are you going to do with this on Monday? John is supremely practical. And he tells us, look, our, our love for God, it gets proven tomorrow by how well we love each other. That's the proof. Our love and commitment to God, it's going to be proven by how well we love each other. Don't tell us how much you love God. Let us see how much you love the person that will be in front of you tomorrow. In Christian belief, one one of the core beliefs, core doctrines we might call it, is the belief that every human being is created in the image of God. They bear the eternal value and image of God in Genesis 1 God says to the Trinity, let us make humans in our image. Let's let's stamp them with our eternal image and every human that you see on any given day, any, any human that you lock eyes with, they bear the image of God. And John says that the test for us is not how well we can explain how much we love God. The test for us is we're going to go about our business tomorrow and God is going to be in front of us all day. His image is going to stand in front of you all day. The test of love is how well do you love other people who bear the image of God. This image of God idea, it has to impact Every issue we face that deals with humanity. Because every human is an image bearer. And so social issues and political issues and economic issues and racial issues and life issues and death issues. Why are they important to us? They're important to us, first of all, because every human being bears the image of God not whatever label we put on them or whatever demographic we assign them to or whatever we think of them. God has been very clear that every human bears his image. So the question of love is not just how do you feel about God, it's how do you love the image bearer that you meet every day? Jesus tells a story along these same lines in the Gospels. Jesus says at the end, the king, God, is going to separate people into two groups. And to one group, he's going to say, thank you. You fed me when I was hungry. You gave me something to drink when I was thirsty. You clothed me when I was naked. You welcomed me in when I was the stranger. And those people are going to go, we never saw you. And God's going to say, you saw me and every human that you did something for. That was me, the king is going to say. Every human bears the image of God. So John, again, rips this out of the theoretical, drops it into the practical, and says, I want to know how well you love the person in front of you. Not how well you can describe how much you love God. Love the image of God that is in front of you day after day. A brief comment about this love-fear thing. As it relates, not to our relationship to God, as it relates to our relationship to other humans. This is the comment. We cannot love those we fear. And those who fear us will not feel loved by us. Which is probably a much longer discussion. But I just want to, I just want to say, if there is within us something that distances us from groups of people... If there is a fear of those people, if there is fear of some group that we have determined is the other, they're the other, they're them, they're those people, if we have fear towards a person or a group of people, love is never going to connect us to that person. If there is somewhere deep within us a chasm that we put between ourselves and someone else, if there is a prejudice that resides deep within our heart towards someone else. John says, love gets rid of that. Love can't survive in an environment where I fear I distance myself from another person or another group of people. Love seeks to close that gap. Love seeks to bridge that distance. Not back away from people, but move towards people. And where there is fear on my part towards a person or a group of people or a label of people or a demographic of people, love's not going to be experienced in that relationship. John rounds out this idea, He covers his bases, which is great because I like to cover the bases. He covers his basis in chapter 5 verse 1 where he writes everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. John doesn't run towards love and abandon everything else. Right? John comes back to belief. Like yeah, we got to believe in Jesus. Right? Love is not an excuse to abandon what is true. John is not saying that love makes up for believing all the wrong things. And as he rounds things out, John says, yes, believing in Jesus is still important. Believing what is true is still important. He goes on, this is how we know that the love uh, that we love the children of God by loving God and carrying out His commands. John doesn't back away from obedience, right? We said there were three tests that John gives. God, uh, John gives the belief test, do we, do we believe what is true? The obedience test, we obey the commands of God. And then the social, ethical, moral test of do we love one another? And, and even though John keeps raising the banner of love, even though John knows this is the one we miss the most, he's always going to come back and say, but you know, it, it, it's, you need to believe the right things. You need to obey. He goes on. In fact, this is love for God to keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. John is not one of those teachers who says, just love everybody and nothing else matters. Just love everybody, it doesn't really matter what you believe or what you worship or or how you go about your spiritual activities. No, John says you gotta love. We miss love so many times. We get it wrong when it comes to love so many times, and what you believe is important, the truth is important, Jesus is important, obedience is important. How many of you, by show of hands, how many of you don't like your food to touch? You're one of those people. Yeah, there's some medication or something for that because that's that's definitely a sickness. I'm not one of you. Like, I don't really care. Kind of how I, I mean, there's a point at which I care, but in general, I don't mind things touching. I don't want, I don't want m- my cake soaking up my barbecue sauce. But just like beans and corn and mashed potatoes, like, eh, they can touch. And it's not a problem for me. If you and I go to a Mexican restaurant, <clears throat> then. Um, more times than not, average, let's call it 51%, 51% of the time, I'm going to get the, uh, the burrito supreme with chicken, right? And then like 40% of the time, I'm going to get fish tacos, because I'm pretty partial to fish tacos as well. But in general, basically, burrito supreme with chicken, and like 10%, I'll get like the speedy number five or whatever, you know, whatever that lunch thing is. Burrito supreme with chicken is one of God's greatest creations, we can just be honest. And, and the reason I ask about food touching is because what makes the, the burrito supreme so magical is that it's just all in there, right? It's not divided out. It's just like it's touching. It's with each other. You got lettuce and you got chicken and you got pico and, and sometimes you got grilled onions and peppers and then you got just cheese sauce, right? Cheese sauce. And there's no boundaries. There's, cheese sauce has no boundaries. It goes all over, wherever, and you just eat it all at the same time. John is saying, the spiritual life is burrito supreme with chicken. <laughs> Let's pray. Now, John, John is saying, look, like, it's, it's, all, it's all in there. And, and if you separate it all out, you no longer have a burrito supreme with chicken. If you have chicken over here and lettuce over here and peppers over there. That's not a burrito supreme with chicken. It's when it's all rolled up together and smothered in cheese sauce. That's the magic. You ready for lunch? John, John says... I'm worried that you're missing the cheese salt. I'm worried that you're missing that thing that goes over everything and in everything and touches everything and influences everything. I'm worried that love's going to fall down the priority of your list because of self-protection and the the current of this world. But listen, you got to have everything else in there too. Like you you got to believe. The truth about Jesus and God's word and and obedience matters. I think John hangs out on love because it is the element of the burrito that you're going to see the easiest. If you and I are just getting to know each other, the truth is, I'm not going to know what you believe about everything, maybe ever, certainly not for a long time, right? contrary to what you might think. If we go to lunch, we pr- we're probably not going to have a deep conversation about the Trinity and how that whole thing works, and what do you believe about it, and what do I believe. Right? We'll get to that, maybe, if we become friends and we, we, we talk Bible and theology stuff, you know, we'll get to ecclesiology and end times, maybe, um, we'll get to all of that. But when I meet you, I I don't know all of your beliefs, and it's probably going to take me a while to, to figure that out, and same for you. When I meet you, I generally have no idea how well you're obeying the commands of God, and you have no idea how I'm obeying the commands of God and which ones I'm getting right and which ones I'm struggling with. And we would probably have to get to know each other really, really well before we ever got to the bottom of that list where maybe we're missing some things. Like, that's not evident. Beliefs aren't uh, initially evident. Obedience is not initially evident. You know what's initially evident? If I'm just around somebody for a little while is do, the, do they love people? Like what is this person like? As you're interacting in the world, the first read people are probably going to have on you is is not how theological you are, even though that's important, it's in the burrito. It's probably not how many of the commands you get right, even though that's important, it's in the burrito. They're going to assess initially, is this somebody that cares about other people? Do I sense compassion from this person? Is this a merciful person? Is this a gracious person? Is this a loving person? That's what they're going to see first. It's not more important. It's just what's going to be out there first. When unbelievers interact with us, they probably don't even care what all of our theological beliefs are at first. They don't care what our list of obedience is. They do care whether they sense we love them or not. We care about them. So John is saying, look, don't don't build the burrito and leave the cheese sauce out. It's, it's gotta be in everything. What do people see when they meet you? How do people experience you? How do people experience you and your spirituality? John would say, I really hope they experience the love that you have received from God coming out of you towards them. God, I pray that you would would help us not diminish any other aspect of our spiritual life. But God, help us to remember that in and through and coming out of everything in this life needs to be the love of Christ. Christ. We love because you loved us first. We can't create this love. We can't manufacture this love. We can just receive it from you. And then in turn, with the same amount of grace that we received it, extend it to other people. God, help us to do that. It's it's easy today. It's difficult tomorrow morning. So in a practical way, help us to love the image of God in the people that we're going to see tomorrow. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.